Okay, good morning. Uh, I want to start and I just want to remind us that uh, we talked about the concept of crea creative destruction, which is a very important one. And the meaning is that uh, there is a process where innovation is displaying uh, new, the old with the new. We talked about the 15 disruptive uh, technologies which are coming uh, to prime, which arriving to prime time uh, at this decade. And we talked about the implication. We talked about the fact that uh, uh, you can use uh, uh, even the concept of the disruptive uh, technologies uh, or uh, enabling technologies, depending on how you call it, uh, in order to change uh, 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 your company or the company that you want to build. So this is this is the first uh, thing that I think we had a long discussion and I liked very much uh, all your ideas and comments. And then we talked about the, the concept of conversion and what does it mean when you combine two or three of these uh, uh, enabling disruptive technologies and, and the fact that it's gonna, all of them are going to become faster, cheaper and stronger. And then what can you do when you create uh, a conversion which is going to take you to unpredictable, surprising and enabling results. We talked about the fact that uh, the coming decade is going to be, uh, uh, I think, the, the most, uh, I would say, quick in, uh, and fast, I would say, in the human history. And that the fact that the amount of changes that are going to be in the coming decade are going to be uh, uh, similar to, uh, almost similar to what we had in the last decade. And in the coming 20, uh, 100 years, uh, uh, we are going to experience the amount of changes that we had to deal with uh, during uh, the last uh, 22,000 years. So, well, then that it is. So when we're talking about the fact that things are getting faster and there is an acceleration, definitely is what, um, this is what we mean. And we talked about what is linear thinking. We talked about exponential thinking. And then we talked that right now we are in the middle of the change from linear to exponential thinking. I think in this sense, the corona, was um, uh, unfortunately uh, a negative experience. Of what does what does it mean to have to to live in exponential age? Meaning the shift is is uh, immense and it's uh, it's uh, overnight, you know. And it's uh, it wasn't even you know a technology uh, that caused us all to you know change our life. It was simply a small virus we jumped from uh, uh, bats to humans. So uh, I think it's a very interesting symbol. But anyway, we are moving now into exponential and. I believe that uh, in the future, it's going to be what we are calling acceleration of acceleration, meaning even exponential won't be enough uh, because the, the speed is going to be so, uh, it's going to be beyond our imagination. I, wanna, I want to remind us uh, that we talked about Joel Church that uh, when he started the, the project of the gene sequencing and when it was finished uh, at 2003 and he was asked, uh, how long would it take uh, to this project to be, uh, uh, you know, in the reach of a common, of a human, of, of a regular person, meaning a drop in price from $2.7 billion to $1,000. And he says, it's gonna be about 60 years. It took us only six years. So just to give you, and we talked about the fact that it's going to be soon like uh, $100 and then going to 10 and then to 25 cents. And we talked about this as a metaphor of the changing of halfway. And we related it, if you remember, to the, to the concepts, concept of quantify self and the ability to become the CEO of your own health, which is also a very good metaphor of everything that is going to change in our world. So uh, today I would like to, I would, I would speak very quickly because we have a lot of work and last time we, uh, we took it a long way because uh, we were in the class and it was the first time. And also because 
it was uh, the first introduction. So, but today I really wanna move fast. Hopefully we'll have some time also for the discussion in the end, uh, which Professor Sagi will, uh, will lead. So right, the other thing I think besides the issue of the acceleration and the exponential thinking, I would like to put on the table another concept which is going to be huge, hugely important for the coming decade and beyond that. And this is that we are moving for, from, uh, uh, we are moving to an informational world. And what does it mean that we are moving into informational world? It means that anything you can think about, whether it's the ozone uh, layer, whether it's uh, uh, the traffic uh, the, uh, uh, in the streets, whether it's your own body, it's all going to be related as an information uh, world. And in a sense, it's going to be managed as we manage today, what we call information technology. And I think this is a huge shift because until now we only have, you know, uh, slices of information and we didn't even know how this part of information is going to relate to this part of information and so forth. So this is, I would say a real transformation because when you're moving into information, it, the, what is really usually going combined with it or interact with it is the fact that once you're moving into digital world and your information is moving from being analogic to a digital information, your whole perspective of the world is going to change, okay? So once we are converting anything into information, so on this, it means we can really, first of all, we can aggregate the information. We can create set of data, what we call today big data. And on top of it, we can use extreme advanced algorithms, which as we know are advancing in the speed of light in any case right now. So in a sense, it means that I think tomorrow it's going to be a world that uh, the, you, you won't have to ask yourself, can I get the data? Or is the data is existing? I think the questions are going to be totally different. They're going to be, how am I going to choose what information am I using, okay? And beyond that, I think when you have all the information and you can know anything, you can even know, you know what's happening in your competitors because you, you can see with satellites, what kind of trucks are getting into the, into the um, factory and what, what they're taking out and so forth and so forth. So th there is not going to be, I mean, there is going to be a, a serious issue of privacy, but I'm talking about on the business arena, when you are capable of asking any information that you want, Okay, any kind of information because we're going to have sensors, okay, all around us. Okay, just to give you an idea, I think each, uh, um, each, each Tesla, I think, generate one uh, gigabyte every hour. We'll get to the numbers in a second. And, uh, and then it means that they are aggregating a lot of information about what about the cities. So this information can be used what? To create new cities, to manage the existing cities in a totally different uh, way. So think about it that anything that which is uh, more than uh, $5 worth, there is going to be sensors. And these sensors right now, for example, also in your, I think in your um, computer and also on your uh, iPhone or whatever you have, you have, I think uh, hundreds, if not more than that of sensors. We talked about my aura ring and so forth. So this is it. So once you have all this information, the question is not going to be anymore, 
can I get the information? The question, the, uh, the question is going to be, how can, I use, how can I use the information? And this leads us, of course, to what is the right question? When you have, when you, there is no question about, you know, what is happening, meaning why, right? For example, I would like to have you from a, a clothes manufacturer and I want to know how many people, how many men at five o'clock in the afternoon in New York City are walking around with a white shirt and I don't know, in a blazer, a black blazer, I can have the information. So once you have all the information, the important thing is to know to ask the right question. And I think asking uh, the right question is much harder and it's going to be, in any case, much harder to ask in the future. So this is what I think we should think about, okay? And also when you're thinking about your project or your everyday life, I think, um, I think we should all exercise in asking ourselves, are we, are we asking the right questions? Uh, and can, can we ask it a better, in a better world? There is a new book that came out right now called uh, uh, A More Beautiful Question. I, I encourage all of you to go and look at it for it. Okay, so let's see what's happening right now. So we talked about the fact that right now, everything is being transformed into uh, um, information and in technology information. So look what happened to us only in the last decade and what is ahead of us. Look, we started in 2010 in, in like about, uh, uh, about less than 1% or 1% zettabyte. Okay, I'll explain in a second what is it. And now we got to, um, we got now to uh, 40 zettabyte in the, end, in the end of last year. And just to give you an idea, what does it mean? It means to put st two stacks of books from here to Pluto and back, just to give you the idea of what we are talking about. So it sent, in a, in a sense, we should understand that in the last, uh, in the last uh, two years, I think uh, about 25% of, uh, uh, sorry, 95% of, um, of the information worldwide was created. And we are going to, you know, we are going to, to be in, I don't know, covered or, or surrounded with, 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 a lot of, with a lot of information. And just to give you an idea, how does it look? Well, you see, this is just to give you an idea. This is a kilobyte, okay? Byte is like, uh, it's, this is the basic, basic uh, measurement. So kilowatt, kilo represent 1000, okay? 1000 byte. Then you, you had, we had the megabyte, you remember, and the gigabyte and terabyte. And now we are moving, look how it looks. To zettabytes. And as I, as I explained, we created, when we're talking about the 40 zettabytes that we created in the last year, two years, meaning that uh, this is the amount of information we got. And uh, I believe we are only in the beginning of it. Okay, so let's move from here uh, to the business world. And this is uh, Mark Andreessen. Mark Andreessen was uh, a very young guy in the beginning of the 90s and uh, he created uh, uh, with his uh, teachers in Stanford, what we call Mosaic. Mosaic was the first um, platform on ARPANET. ARPANET was the, 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 the ancient uh, internet, which was created by DARPA and then moved into universities and was supposed to assist uh, uh, colleagues within a professor within different university to, to, to collaborate and to, to uh, move information instead of uh, you know, the old ways. And, and then uh, he created this, uh, this, the mosaic, which was for him, this was the, the this, so let's say like a year later, they, they were about uh, 100,000 uh, websites and so forth. And now, of course, today we have 
millions and uh, more than many millions of, of uh, websites. And Mark Andreessen, which is one of the wisest people on earth right now, and after doing the after creating the mosaic and having other two companies, he created um, a company called A16Z, Andreessen Horowitz. Horowitz uh, um, is, uh, is his partner, Ben Horowitz, and they are usually they are, they are being. Uh, perceived as the best uh, venture capital uh, company in, in the world, or at least in Silicon Valley, if we put China aside. And um, uh, I think it was uh, 2013, he wrote an article, uh, correct me if, uh, I'm sorry if I'm wrong, it might be, no, I think it's 13. He, he wrote, uh, and this was the article, Software is Eating the World, okay? He wrote, Software is Eating the World in all sectors, okay? And in the future, every company can become um, a software company, or it won't exist. Can, can you send us the article, please? Uh, no, I don't have it. Please, you can look it over and look it up. Uh, it's a, this is the name. You can look it up. Okay? Right. Yeah. Yeah. This presentation you're going to get, so you can use this. Okay? Simply go and look at it. It's, it's, a, it's a short one. He usually, short, he usually writes very short uh, Articles. You um, uh, wrote uh, in the middle of the, uh, pan the the coronavirus. I think it was four or five years ago. Uh, four months ago, he wrote a very important article called "It's Time to Build." And if you're interested, I would also uh, I would suggest also to read the, this one because he goes beyond that and says, "Okay, now we know how 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 to create technology, but now." we should ask our, ourselves question, how we use this technology in order to create a better world. And he refers mainly to United States and he's talking about the major problems that right now United States has, especially he was talking about health and education, but then he was saying, use the, we are capable of using this technology uh, to reverse what is happening. I think it's a part of the, uh, he was trying to deal with the attack on big tech and on Silicon Valley, particularly that, uh, as we saw, the the solutions for uh, the solution didn't come from Silicon Valley. So uh, Silicon Valley and the big tech right now are under a lot of pressure from the regulation and beyond that. And I think that if you look at what happened in any case, what uh, Anderson and Horowitz are doing right now, they created the, right now the clubhouse. I think they're trying to create a different narrative for uh, um, Silicon Valley and uh, for the big tech. Uh, so. Uh, he is a very interesting person. I'm uh, emotionally, I'm ambiguous about him, but his worth is definitely one of the wisest people in the Silicon Valley and probably in the technological world in general. Okay, it's okay. I can continue. Great. So, what we see at 2016, I think, or 17, this guy Jensen Hong, Hong, who is. Uh, the CEO of NVIDIA. Do you know NVIDIA is uh, one of the most important chip manufacturers in the world, uh, which bought ARM right now and is going to give her a, strong, a stronger position in the, in the world. And I would look for her, probably she, this is the company who is going to replace uh, Intel as the leader of uh, the chip industry. And what he says, yeah, Software is eating the world, yeah, but come on, AI is eating software, okay? He says, and he, and he relates to what Mark Andreessen said, he says, yeah, but AI is eating software. 
and the number uh, and you see and he's talking about what is happening uh you see you you remember we talked about the the growth the, the immense growth in uh, in the amount of data and then he says listen right now uh, uh, the open source software uh, uh respiratory who has grown to more than 75,000 from fewer than 5,000 so just just give you an idea in the last past two years okay as we keep is as I keep telling you as my teachers are keep keeping telling me no one knows how quick the world is moving so there you go okay and then there is, of course, uh, a discussion about deep learning. Uh, deep learning uh, is a subset of uh, AI, and this is right now the leading technology uh, that assists us in uh, creating a totally different infrastructure for anything that is being done in the world. And then my own mentor, my personal mentor, okay, Peter Diamandis, who was the founder of the XPRIZE, the founder of Singularity University, uh, Vicinity, and so forth, is saying this year in the the meeting we had uh, we had one once a year we had a very interesting meeting called uh, uh 360 digital abundance uh he says is ai he says is it a feature or is it a platform and what he re re what he really relate to he relates to what mark and says when mark and is being asked about the startups that uh, he's seeing he he, he says uh, I can, I can definitely know what, once they uh, do the pitch, whether they relate to AI as a feature or as a platform. And you can see, he says, that when the startup thinks that it's only a feature, well, they finish the, the, the presentation or the deck or whatever, and they like, they, you know, like sprinkles, they put it all over. And he says that this is definitely misunderstanding of the future because the AI is not going to be a feature, it's going to be a platform, okay? And what Peter is saying in the coming decade, there will be only two kinds of companies. One, one co companies that are going to embrace AI and redesign themselves accordingly, and the other kind, the companies that will not continue with us, they cease to exist. So this is a very, very sharp, uh, I would say, uh, suggestion. But I in, I, in any case, believe that it's right. Any company that will not adopt AI and do it properly, and there is a huge, it, it's, a, it's a huge challenge. I'm right now in the middle of a process with a big company, uh, traditional, uh, legendary company, very successful. And moving from being a usual, you know, traditional, very successful uh, company to being uh, data-driven. And then uh, I would say, it's, I told them it's not interesting to be a data-driven. I think it's more important to be, uh, he says, when I, when I was called, he says, we want to be a data-driven company. He says, I, uh, this is the last thing I would should suggest you to do. I would say, I said, data is only, um, um, I would say, the material from, uh, from data, you create insight and then you get to, to wisdom and what you want to do is being a wisdom wisdom driven company so this is it so this is very crucial for everything that you do in the future you have to think about it whether you're looking for exponential thinking whether you're thinking in uh, in data in um, in uh, um, no 
data uh, technology and whether you're thinking about AI as a feature or as a platform. Very crucial for the, I would say, your future and the future of your companies. Now, the other thing I want to put here on the table uh, is a part of a group of, of, of a book of uh, Hod Lipson. Hod Lipson is one of the most important roboticists in the world. He's working right now in NYU. He has a very good book called uh, The Driveless Car. And what is very interesting, he says in this book, and I think it's a very important notion, he says that once a technology, okay, is getting to prime time, you remember we talked about what does it mean? And we talked about the decrease in prices. It's, it's, it's only a matter of time when the price gets to zero. And what he says, that when a new technology, the price is getting to zero or near zero, okay, it means that usually uh, there is going to be a disruption of the whole existing industry. But beyond that, there are going to be, uh, uh, um, because of the reduction of, of, of the price of many, par of many parts in the, in the end to zero, there is going to be a total revolution of the industry. So, uh, so I think it's very important to try and understand what is happening right now with the price of AI. And we, I think it's very important for you all to follow what uh, Amazon is doing, what uh, Google is doing and what uh, Facebook is doing, but also small companies like Rigoletti, and so forth, which what they're doing right now is that they create packages of uh, AI, all different kinds of AI. We talked about it, that there are going to be many, many kinds of AI that you can simply, uh, um, you can simply rent. It's going to be SaaS, AI is a SaaS, okay? Meaning you can simply rent it for your own needs and so forth. And this is when we're talking right now about AI and behind, and I'm, can, I can assure you though that what is racing behind is quantum uh, computers. And we already see hints of it that uh, the large company understands that in order to survive beyond the five, uh, five years horizon, they will have to supply not only with AI at, uh, at uh, very low prices, but they will have also to be capable to support uh, different industries with quantum uh, computers capabilities. So every time you hear that there is going to be a huge decrease in the prices, look when it's coming to zero. And when it's near zero, hitting zero, this, the, the, whole, the, whole, the, whole, uh, the whole industry is going to change. We see it right now, for example, with the energy, because last year, I think it was Portugal, which got to 33 cents or 32 cents for kilowatt, which is nearly nothing. So in Chile already in 2018 created, I think uh, a one, one third to, I mean, they had, they had, um, they, they simply gave as a present to the, to the neighbors, uh, one third of their uh, uh, um, energy uh, um, production because they didn't need it. So they gave it for free. So think about it. Okay, now. And now I want to put another brick in our thinking. And this is, of course, Carlita, Carlota Perez. We talked about her a little bit. Okay. And I think she's magnificent. 
she gave a talk, I think, two weeks ago. Go, go, go up and look at, uh, at um, uh, YouTube. She was a part of a panel was, uh, which was discussing the future of, of, human ra- of human race and the globe and so forth. Very, very interesting discussion. And she's talking there very, you know, she has very strong ideas and, and, and opinions. And I think it's worthwhile listening to her. Uh, she's she's a voice of reason in a, in many ways. Usually, she is like a, a, she has revolutionary ideas in uh, economics. So, and this is what she said in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, it was I think the last day of May last year. I was driving to Jerusalem uh, uh, for a meeting, and I and because it you know whenever she's on, I I have a I have a notice and I put on, and this is what she's starting. Surprisingly, the coal crisis might lead us to a new, prosperous, golden age. And she says, this is against what anyone thinks uh, around. So this is what she says. So first of all, these are the books. I, uh, I think they are very good books. And if you have time, I think it's, a, it's worthwhile reading it. So what she does, she is living in the intersection between um, techno- technology uh, uh, revolution and economics. And what she, what she, and this is, you know, a part of her book, I thought it would be worthwhile to understand because then we have the context. So she says, well, you look about 240 years of technological revolution. Well, uh, she says, this is usually how it happens. She says, okay, it, it takes time. And uh, what she's talking about is that uh, it, um, Usually there are two, there are three phases, okay? There is the phase, first phase is when you create the technology, you work on the technology, and then there is an acceleration. And as Professor Sagi emphasized when we talked about it is that, of course, it takes a time until there is a deployment. And it seems, it seems as if nothing is happening. This is what we call a deceptive phase in a second. So, and only then, you're getting in the last phase, then you're getting to uh, the uh, what we call the golden age. Okay, so uh, the technology progress is con- constant, but it's not continuous. And, and I think it's a very important uh, notion. <clears throat> so you see, we have the installation period, and then I, I just I, I don't want to stay here too long, so I just want to show you how it is. So. You have always, you have the first, you have, your, so in any case, when, when to, once you have the installation, so you have the first time when you have the, uh, the creating, when you create the, uh, the technology, so always there is a kind of a bubble, okay? So uh, I won't take you for, for all the history, but when we started with the canal, so suddenly there was a canal media, and then you have a, then you have a turning point, and then you have a deployment and then you have the maturity. And what is usually happening is that once a, te- a technological revolution is getting to maturity, there is already behind it, the new technology, usually, this is at least what happened in the last uh, 20, uh, 240 years, which is going to you know, get and take, take its space to replace it and so forth. So we had the ra- railroad mania and then the, we have the Victorian boom and uh, we have the infrastructure building of the London funded. And then of course we have the Bella Park and then we have the Roaring 20, when we had the autos, the uh, housing, the radio, the aviation, the electricity. And then, of course, we had the turning point again. So there is the bubble collapse. There is a recession. There is a misogynistic uh, leaders. Uh, there is a uh, uh, social upheaval. 
there is uncertainty and there is usually hatred to anyone which is different than us. People are looking for uh, who, can, who can we blame and so forth. And then there is the post golden age. Okay. And now she says, we are in the middle, we are in the, in the crossroad and it's our, uh, I would say, responsibility to make the right decision in order to make sure that they, we will go into the deployment period, that we will go into the new golden age. And she says, in her belief, in, she believes that because of the corona, because of the deep, I would say, in, uh, investigation that we had within ourselves, because the whole world had suddenly shut down and it was a time to think. And there are very important new notions which are you know, being created. And uh, 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 I would say uh, definitely cultural uh, shifts are going to happen. This is my opinion. This is not what she's saying, but I'm saying that. And what she says, she asked one question, what is happening in the turning point? And is it the companies which created the technology, which are the ones that are doing the change? Can we rely on them to move us all into a golden age? And what she says, no, this is not the situation. She said that while the installation period is being led by finance and unfettered markets and of course the technology companies. It says after the turning point, okay, what, what to come out from, from this turning point in the right way, it's only led by the state, meaning by the social organized organizations which are leading the society. So all of these people who are thinking that the government doesn't have any power and so forth, they misunderstand the history of how, uh, I would say, technological revolution progress. This is a very, very important notion because what happened in the last, I think, uh, 60 years and so, 50, well, Milton Findon created, you know, there is this uh, uh, article he wrote, I think it's on 1979, which was a big shift, okay, when then you have to put all the money back at, into the hands of the shareholders and not the sh uh, stakeholders. So from there, we, we usually, we have a much, we have a, a, a much severe situation in this sense. But then this is another point why, one, one more reason why the state has to go in. And what she says that when you, we look on all this 240 years, of, 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 of progress technological so each golden age is in is enabled by the social forces which create a new lifestyle and this lifestyle creates new jobs so what is happening let's assume we have 100 percent new jobs so 30 percent are going to be the advanced one the very interesting one, the ones that are paying uh, the, the best, the ones that are being appreciated uh, and praised by the society. But in order to support these 30%, there are going to be 70 new jobs or, or job description or, or roles or whatever that will be created in order to support this end. And the link, or I would say the platform is going to be the new uh, lifestyle. So in the age of steam, coal, iron, 
railways a mechanism, okay? So there was the, the, what was created, of course, was the urban victory, a Victorian life, okay? When we move further, the age of steel and heavy engineering, first globalization, what was created was the cosmopolitan living, okay, in the Belt Epoch. And then when we talk about what happened after uh, World War II, well, it was the age of automobile, oils, uh, petrochemicals, yeah, you know, everybody were, were, admi were, were admiring plastic, which right now we know we would like to, to renounce and it's very hard for us, we, and mass production. So suburban family living were created, meaning the American dream with, uh, you know, the, 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 the house in the, with the garden, with the loan, which is, uh, well being taken care of, uh, groomed, and of course, two dogs, uh, two cars, uh, and whatever, and uh, uh, supper being given at six o'clock, and uh, the wife is at home uh, taking care of, uh, of the family. Uh, uh, for the women here, especially, I give you a hint, there was another very interesting um, social move in the United States after the uh, World War II when, it was there, when there was a, uh, a serious discussion about how can we. Uh, I would say persuade women to go back because once uh, during the war, women uh, took jobs and uh, earned money and were independent for the first time. So how we can persuade them in a positive way to give up the, the, these jobs uh, for the coming soldiers. So, so this was another story that was related to that, but it doesn't matter when we're talking about only from the lens of how we create um, um, techno technological revolution. So this is it, okay? So if we look at it, you know, just look at it uh, uh, as, uh, you know, it's very important when you look into the future to learn the past, so here we see, okay? So each golden age enable a different lifestyle and then creates the new jobs that we talked about. So the real question that Carlota Perez is putting on the table, and then she also have a, a very good answer. I will tell you that in a second. She says, the question right now is what kind of new lifestyle we are going to create and what she thinks we should create. We think we should create a sustainable green, gro green growth lifestyle. So uh, this is what she thinks we should do in the future. And just to give you another way of looking at it, look, look how it looks in, from, from a, you know, a specific, uh, uh, the Manchester, just in the life, you know, just as, just as a metaphor, how does it look through the lens of one city, which is Manchester? Look what happened with the, with the, with the yards of fabrics and how it's, uh, you know, it's uh, growing exponentially, like in 50 years, okay, from 40 mil, uh, million to 2 billion ones. And then uh, one, uh, at 1830, the first steam engine, and then baby Manchester, of course, which was created by um, uh, Turing when he came back uh, after the war and he lived in Manchester for, for a while, unfortunately, until he committed suicide, which is a horrible story. Uh, one of our geniuses and we didn't take good care of him. So this is just to give you an idea how it looks. Okay. So which category are going to be disrupted? Everyone, all of them. If someone thinks, if someone thinks in education or in construction or somewhere in agriculture that he or his business or his category is not going to be uh, disrupted, I think he's simply, um, you know, 
avoiding the, the reality. Uh, there is a very good company called InnoSight. I started this morning calling uh, a reading, sorry. Uh, they right now created uh, a new uh, roadmap for big companies, uh, how to survive the, uh, the creative destruction. And uh, what they said is that when you look about, uh, uh, I would say the life, uh, the life cycle of big company and, and the lifespan of big companies, well, we already know that uh, if we created a company on two, in uh, 1920, you could have, you know, had a, you can be very successful for about 75 years. Uh, then uh, in the, I think 12 years ago, it started to drop very rapidly and it got to 15 or 16 years. And now what the, the first sentence in the, in the, in the article they wrote called, is, well, because of uh, uh, um, creative destruction, it's even going to, to be uh, further. So I think this is very, very important. And I think we all have to take into consideration that the corona is definitely a catalyzator. So anything you can think about probably is going to go to, uh, to, to, to I think, to, um, to manifest itself much quicker. I can assure you that, for example, in, the, um, uh, in health, uh, we know about some categories which uh, things that were supposed to, cut, to take uh, a decade. Right now, we cut four years out of them, uh, definitely uh, in finance and definitely in some sector of the manufacturing. And so I think everything, and of course, retail, you know, they thought that in the States, they were the, they will get they will get to um, to uh, you know move move to the um, internet uh, and buy via Amazon and all the other competitors. With, they will get to thirty percent market share only within uh, six years. It's happening in one month and so forth. So in a sense, I think that uh, we might be moving to a, 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 a much stronger uh, acceleration uh, starting from. Starting from now, but definitely from uh, 2024, when I think we are going to to really start going out of the coronavirus uh, impact, and uh, not not before that. This is my belief in any case. So let's continue. Okay. Uh, so, but what I think we should take into consideration when we're thinking about it is also the positive side. It's not that you're because remember when we are talking about creative destruction. So we have the side of the technology when you have the new technology that you know is replacing the old one, but it's beyond that, it's creating new opportunities. So we are when we are talking about digital economies, and we know already that digital economies give us vast more opportunities than um than the um, than the current uh economy, which is built on on uh uh, assets which are definitely, in, in a sense, not even relevant. I urge you, if it's, in, if it's of interest to, to any of you, to go and look uh, and read about some history of the money. They're very, very interesting notion. And in any case, we are moving right now to digital economy. And if you can see even, we won't have time for that, but if you're interested, I gave two lectures about blockchain, so you can find it on my website and look at it. We are getting now four new billions on the internet. Right now we have four billion uh, smartphones. Uh, by 25, we will have 10 billion. So, and, and they're going to be extremely cheap. 
between 45, what we pay now, uh, $1,000 is gonna cost like $45, or it might be given even for free because people, I mean, the company would like to have the, the information or would like to sell something and so forth. So the hardware is not going to be a, a, an issue anymore. It's not going to be an obstacle. So meaning 4 billion people are going to get online, which were never bought online, never created an uh, uh, online business and so forth. They are craving, think about the amount of, um, I would say amount of uh, creativity, which is going to go online and be uh, be available to all of us. So on one side, well, competition is going to be to come from all over, but also these are new clients. And even if they are not the clients of your company, definitely they are clients for your clients and so forth. So it never happened in the history of human race that we had we when we said that uh, when we when we talked about the you know the. Um, the tribe uh, uh, fire chat, uh, it never, it, it was never until now uh, capable, possible to have like, you know, all the 8 billion people online, but we are getting there. So huge, huge, huge opportunity, new business models, because these new to tools, and when you move into um, digital um, economy, and uh, when you're moving about to uh, um, information uh, technology, new totally different business model that you, you couldn't even dream about are going to appear and a new supply chain. We're going to see radical changes in the coming uh, uh, decade, especially now after the coronavirus. And they went, for example, look at what's happening right now. There is a huge crisis because there is a shortage of uh, uh, chips, uh, Microsoft microprocessors. And uh, you can see that, the, that there's, there's some industries which are simply um, I would say um, yeah, struggling, for example, the vehicle, uh, the transportation vehicle, uh, transportation uh, um, category simply right now, um, they're struggling because what is happening is that the chip manufacturer right now, well, they they have usually, you know, they have very good clients, uh, the Apple and, and you know, uh, the other companies which are creating uh, um, hardware and software. So usually, and, and they, they, they have this big and, and bulky, uh, um, I would say, um, reserve, um, you know, uh, reservation and so forth. So uh, what I would say, uh, uh, they put usually the other ones uh, behind. And so right now, so is, there is a question. And of course, if there is going to be another problem like the coronavirus, there might be more shutdown. So we're gonna see uh, companies and also uh, nations looking for different uh, uh, concept or, or platform to ensure their uh, ability to survive and not to suffer if there is uh, in, the, in, the, in the future uh, shortage of any kind of uh, other, um, any kind of uh, chip or whatever, any kind of uh, different uh, materials that you need, but also a different supply chain. So there was, for example, a very, very interesting uh, article uh, in the shipping, uh, one shipping, it was very interesting, one shipping, uh, I think, magazine was talking about how United States is preparing to use the inside, because in the United States, you have so many different uh, rivers, and, and it's, it, the rivers are really mapping all of the United States, how you create a new different supply chain using this river, this, uh, you know, this uh, platform of river, river as a way to create a, a, a more sustainable uh, uh, supply chain within the United States. So 
huge, huge, huge uh, innovation are going to be uh, there. So we talked about acceleration. I don't think I need to talk about it a little bit more. We, we know that. So I think there are very, very good reason to think that there is going to be exponential opportunities. So whenever people are telling you there is going to be change, please, 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 I urge you, always think about the upside. It's important to consider the downside, but please don't let it be your guide. Let the positive, let the opportunity be your guidance, guidance when the, your guide when you're thinking about the future. Okay, so uh, Professor Segui, would you like me to continue or you want to stop? What do you want to do? Professor Segui, I don't hear you, I'm sorry. You're muted. Sorry, sorry about that. I think we should continue until 11.30, then we'll have a break in between, and then continue until the end, if that's okay with you. Yeah, and, uh, and how much time would you like to put for the discussion? Well, uh, it's going to be another an hour and a half, so uh, we have until two, so... Uh, no, just I'll know how to arrange the, the lecture. Yeah, I, I think we're going to have an hour and uh, 15 minutes in the end, so uh, that's about that. So if we go until okay. 11.30 and 15 minutes break, so that leaves uh, an hour and 15 minutes uh, for the discussion. Okay, okay, so I continue now. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Okay, so uh, uh, I want to give you some idea about how the landscape is changing. So when you ask your parents, when you're thinking about financial organization, I, well, I, I assume that most of them will tell you, well, of course, it's my bank, right? You know, this is, you know, this big tall building that you go inside and uh, you have to send in line and then you have to speak to someone and then pay some, uh, some ATM machines and so forth and some I can take money or put money but definitely or I can go online but it's still the bank okay and definitely in a sense especially in Israel the banks are being seen as a part uh, in a sense of the it's an it's like nearly a nation bank because they are being backed and being supervised by the uh, um, central bank, bank in Israel, which is very strong, uh, which is a very good thing in my opinion. And uh, and then today, well, I think most of us got up, and uh, I think two months ago, uh, at least I got, I had, uh, I have an app, an Apple, uh, and then uh, there was a notion if you want to pay right now and you don't have to carry any more your uh, credit card, so then. You can go and simply enjoy uh, Amazon, uh, sorry, Apple Pay. And of course, most of us know Amazon. And uh, I believe during the coronavirus, at least uh, some, of, uh, some of us uh, bought. And uh, well, uh, Amazon became much stronger as we know during uh, the coronavirus. And uh, so, so we see when we talked about moving from analogy and for physical world to a digital world, uh, these are just the beginning because right now we select or we prefer Apple or Amazon because these are huge uh, mega brands because we have a history with them. We know they're trustworthy. They are large company which are being, um, you know, being, uh, they're, they're being, they, they appear everywhere. They, 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 they work on a global scale. Uh, they, are, they are being backed by, by huge uh, investors and, and so forth. 
So this, so today we are doing this, I would say this, uh, 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 this change, but we are doing it to a very secure uh, new competitors, which we have history and they have very, very good reputation. So when you have a very good reputation, then there is a trust, right? And we can see, which is very interesting, how Apple is creating the trust from a totally different angle, meaning we keep your privacy, okay? We, we respect your privacy and we create beautiful design and we create beautiful and extremely advanced uh, um, tools for you in, in a sense to, to uh, elevate yourself and to uh, create a better life for yourself in, the, in many senses. While Amazon, well, you know, we create totally different uh, experience, uh, far from being uh, uh, personalized in any way. Uh, while in Apple, you can personalize nearly anything. We, in Amazon, no, but uh, uh, we trust you and uh, we, we believe trust is the fundamental to our relationship. And we accordingly, uh, we are very, very, we have a very good, I would say, um, um, uh, supply chain. This is one strain. The other one is, of course, a very, very good price. The other thing is the platform because on them, you can find all the competitors as well. And also they don't mess with you. If, you, if you're saying you didn't get the product, you say there is something damaged, usually you will get something, a reply within 24 hours and you will get either your money, a refund, or you will get a replacement, whatever you prefer. And uh, it's very interesting to see uh, in a sense that these two companies create trust, but from a different, uh, through a very, a very different channel and using very, very different uh, vehicles. It's very interesting because I don't know whether you're familiar with the story that when Amazon was created, they started with books. Why with books? Because it was, uh, he, he was looking for something that, you know, people want to have a, a variety that it's very hard to find, to, to, to have to, to the usual stores to keep every, everything that is possible. And uh, he wanted it to be something that you can deliver and it won't be too um, costly. I mean, that the, the delivery itself won't be too um, expensive and so forth. And when they, they had a discussion, uh, once they opened the company, uh, um, well, his colleague said, you know, or partner said, you know, there is a problem with the books because, you know, people can read the book because it's an experience, right? You don't use a book, you don't eat it, right? You don't uh, drive in it. So they will read the book, they will close it and they will send it back and they say, well, it's not interesting or it, it's damaged or whatever. And there was a very heated discussion. And what he said is that I prefer to trust my clients than to think that, uh, uh, um, um, that they are all cheaters. So it was a very, this was a strategic decision and it's a part of what we know about Jeff Bezos, which is, is really, uh, focused on the client is, is a really consumer centric, uh, uh, used to be a president of a company. So, and now he's gaining, you know, now it's became a, and people forget that Amazon wasn't, uh, wasn't, uh, profitable for many, many years. It was the, in the, in the stock exchange, it was, it was a joke. Well, something will happen when, when Amazon is going to start, you know, uh, generating revenues. People don't recall it right now. So I'm just giving you also look at the history, look at the history, look at the history. So, um, and tomorrow, tomorrow we are going to have blockchain based entities. And I won't go deep now into explaining the blockchain uh, uh, technology because this is not the place and the time, but the essence of the blockchain is that we replace the trust 
okay, which we emphasize when we talk right now about Apple and Amazon. We replace the trust in the middleman with a replace with the with the trust of the technology. So just to give you the idea, a, a white paper, paper, but by a person or a group, we don't know, called Satoshi Nakamoto, in the middle of the big crisis of 2008, suddenly appear uh, in the mailbox or of about, for, forget me about the number, I'm not sure, but I think 1,000 people, which are the leaders in thinking about uh, um, money and about technology. And it was, a full stack platform for creating an alternative for the middleman. Never in the history of uh, technology, one technology appeared. I mean, it's not that there weren't any, uh, uh, I would say experience before that, but, and, and what is incredible about this story is that until now, no one knows who is Satoshi Nakamoto? He has a lot of thought, there is a lot of money which is supposed to be claimed by him on the blockchain. No one ever, you know, it's 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 it, it's it's like really a radical, I think, uh, uh, I think it was simply simply a radical, it's it's someone who really wants to it is a revolutionary revolutionary guy who wants to change the world. So, and uh, whenever uh, uh, technology is so different than what we know, see, it's really a, a, a disruptive one. Usually you can see that there is always back, 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 backlash against it. So we see that against Bitcoin and so forth. I won't go into a discussion about that, but I urge you, I do urge you to go and learn about digital wallet, digital coins, uh, which are special features or application. And the framework and the platform is the blockchain. And what we are going to see is that we are going to do anything via person to person, especially between people that we don't even know. Okay. And it's going to be transference of money. It's going to be smart contract. It's going to have to do with saving our, creating digital identity. And I'm putting now uh, in brackets and I'm asking you to learn about digital twins, which are going to be very crucial when we're th thinking about the world in the future. And- what, what do you mean digital twins? Digital twins, meaning that you create a digital identity which is similar to uh, to the analogical physical one. Okay, thank you. Okay, if we'll have time during the the next uh, lectures, I might find some. We'll find some time. This is a very very important uh, uh, concept for the future. So, so. What it means is that, just to give you an idea, what does it mean and why is it so important? Right now, if you buy a house, right? You buy a house, you have, you are selling the house and someone wanna, wanna, wanna what, someone you don't know come along and he wants to buy the house then. So what you, you do, you put in, you, you, took, you put, you have two lawyers, right? His lawyer, your lawyer, right? 
Then you have all the, uh, I would say, uh, municipality, and I would say, all you have to go and, and file all the forms in order, all the bureaucracy and so forth in, in some kind of, I don't know, uh, um, I don't know, local or um, uh, national uh, um, service uh, uh, and so forth. So there are a lot of middlemen, and what you do, you put your trust in them, meaning they will check the one who, who is going to buy your house, that he will, pay all, he will pay all the money and that he's honest and so forth. On the other side, the one, the, the person who is buying from you, well, he says, well, they are going to check that he owns the house, right? So you go and you find out that it's really written, you know, in the books and so forth. And you really, you can show, okay, you have the right paper to show your ownership over. Well, this process is very, very expensive. It's so expensive that 70% of the people on the globe don't have uh, an approval that they own their own house. Even if they are, for example, farmers that uh, uh, their family are living there on this land for decades. And a stranger can come along, you know, and say, well, this is the certificate proving that I own your house. And they can do nothing about it. Nothing. So for them, it's going to be a solution. For women, uh, there are some very, very interesting women uh, activists who create uh, manufacturing facilities uh, in uh, Afghanistan, in uh, India, and so forth. And because the state of women there is so horrible, is that they can't, they are not allowed, they, they are not being allowed to open a bank account. So every cent that they're earning is supposed to go to their husband or to their father or to their uh, son or to their uh, um, brother. So these women, this uh, uh, really brave um, um, social uh, activists, they created for them uh, a blockchain entity and they moved to them bitcoins and other kind of coins so they have money and they can use it. And because usually they're also living in, uh, unfortunately in unstable economic uh, 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 parts of the world. So in a sense, the money, uh, the, the value of the money in this, uh, this area might be decreasing, but the money of these women is only, uh, you know, uh, uh, becoming, uh, you know, more valuable and also it's not only keeping the value but it's also increasing the value and this is decoupling with the, with the with the reality that most of uh, all that most of the people around there are living so it's very very important and also what you should know that it's going to be easier just to give you an idea if you wanted to open a, a startup uh, in 2000 it used you had to have five million dollars in order to have a an internet startup an online startup today it's less than one thousand. It's less than one than five thousand dollars, and it's going to get. I can assure you to less than that. So, okay, I will continue now. So, just to give you an idea that everything is changing, so you should start always, and you're going to have this uh, presentation. So, every time you're sitting into a meeting with your colleagues, just put it and ask them: Are we thinking in this model? Are we thinking about the yesterday financial banks or the today? But is it good for tomorrow? Okay, so all of it, simply use this slides as a roadmap for your thinking for the, on the future. Okay, now uh, I want to talk about uh, some of the tools 
just forgive me for one second. I just need to take a zip of water. Okay, so, uh, okay. Uh, we are talking right now when, if you're talking about uh, companies from the fifties uh, and sixties uh, and so forth, uh, well, um, I think you usually when you talk to companies, they were relying either on their logistic because logistic was very, very expensive. So you had to have a lot of money to buy this, you know, vehicles and then the petrols and then the drivers and so forth. And also the branding. So logistic was on the side of the competition between, there were other issues, but this was a very, very, very important tool for, for you know, for the traditional leg legendary uh, legacy company to create a stronger position in the market. And when we're talking about the consumer world, we had the branding. So, you know, they were flourishing of the, sorry, of the, the uh, traditional um, uh, marketing. And of course, uh, uh, there was uh, any kind of publicity. And uh, of course, uh, there was the TV commercials and so forth. So this was yesterday. This is a world that uh, at least I grew in. And right now, today, and here I, I really urge you to learn about Salim Ismail. He's one of my teachers, and now I'm quoting him. In one of his lectures, he was talking about the fact that today when companies are thinking, they're thinking usually about this triangle. They're saying, well, you can have a client intimacy, you can have excellent products, or you can have accurate pricing. And usually he says, when you go to a company, company usually say, well, I'll, we'll do both three things. And usually it's impossible to do. And then we see that uh, some company, uh, for example, are... Um, um, mainly focusing on client on client intimacy. One of them is, for example, Zappos, which you probably know that they are they claim to be, and I believe they are uh, giving the best uh, client service. Okay, uh, there is no, for example, there is no uh, um, limit on the amount of time that uh, a person in the sorry, someone is making a lot of noise. Sorry, ah. and. Uh, uh, and um, so you see, so you have the client intimacy and uh, there is a, there is a very, um, there is a story that is being told that uh, he was, uh, the, 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 the guy who created the Zappos, uh, the, he was with a group of uh, clients and, uh, and um, colleagues and they were in a hotel somewhere, they were celebrating something and then they went out. And uh, one of uh, the women that was there uh, challenged him and say, well, you keep saying that your client service is the best in the world. So I'm gonna ask them, I'm very hungry now. It's two o'clock in the morning, so I want a pizza. And he tells her, but you know, we don't sell pizza. He says, well, I wanna see what you're doing. So she picks up the phone two o'clock in the morning. She called the, the, um, the service, uh, the, the, the call center. And there is a wonderful lady who is answering. So how can I assist you? She says, well, I want a pizza, a pepperoni pizza. Okay, so there is, of course, you know, <laughs> on the other line, on the other side, uh, you know, uh, silent. Uh, and she says, but you know, we are not selling, uh, again, um, we are not selling uh, pizza. She says, well, but still I want it. You're supposed to have the best customer service in the world. So I want to see what you can do for me. So uh, another pose, uh, the woman on the other line from the uh, service uh, uh, center uh, saying, so from the call center says, wait a second. And she's going and she's, you know, she says, hold on for a second. She's coming back after a minute. And she said, well, 
well, uh, we don't sell pizza, but I can order you. There are three places which are open right now. Please send me your, can I send you right now the uh, menu so you can choose and then I will order it to you, for you. So <laughs> this is just to give you an idea, what does it mean to have a, a real uh, client intimacy? And of course, accurate pricing, which is uh, very interesting. We won't go into it, but because of technology, the progress of technology, I think we're getting into a time of, uh, I would say, um, dynamic pricing, which is going to be a new concept of pricing. But right now, let's say we're talking about accurate pricing, what is the right price for a certain uh, product, a certain packaging in a certain uh, surrounding and so forth. And excellent products, okay, which some of them, are, some of some of some of the companies, uh, you know, used to focus. Intel used to focus on it, and so. But the, the companies were trying to mitigate between the three of them. And what he says tomorrow is that we are going to move mainly to excellent products because what he thinks is that it's going to be quite easier to create client intimacy because of digital tools that will enable us to personalize the customer and client journey and consumer journey. And uh, a accurate pricing is going to be less sometimes, it, it's going to be important, but not as important, but everything is going to be wrapped around the MTP. And what is an MTP? MTP is massive transformative purpose. I believe you never heard about it. This is something that uh, in my university we are, we, are, we are being taught and we are teaching others. And MTP means uh, massive transformative purpose. Massive transformative purpose means that I gave you a hint in the beginning when we talk about what happened with Milton Friedman in 1979 when he wrote his paper that uh, put on the table the idea that the company uh, management is only, is only uh, should focus on the benefit for the, share, for the shareholders and not the stakeholders. MTP meaning you have responsibility to contribute to the world, not only to your shareholders. This is a huge, huge shift. We see the hints of this right now. The first hint, for example, was in the end of uh, 2019. I think the big one, the, the 100 big companies uh, gathered, I think it was, I, I, I think it was uh, as a part of the um, uh, global forum meeting in Geneva, if I'm not mistaken, in, if I'm not mistaken, in Switzerland. And they signed first time ever a contract which says, uh, it wasn't a contract. Uh, they signed on, I would say, a declaration. This is more, uh, I think this is more accurate, that they believe that the company shouldn't only look, put all the energy about uh, uh, on, on gaining money and delivering uh, benefits to the shareholders, but that uh, the company has, um, has uh, a responsibility to go beyond that. If this... Uh, this is of interest for you. There is a wonderful book called Films of Endearment, which was published, if I'm not mistaken, in 2006 by people from Boston Consulting Company, a very good uh, consultancy firm. And they came and they put on the table 
the uh, themes of endearment meaning companies that take care of that instead of putting all the energy on the shareholders put the energy on all on all the stakeholders meaning the workers the employees the um the uh, community that the 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 company is working within uh um the suppliers the uh, the ecological surrounding and so forth meaning uh, and and the, and they were talking about the balancing it's not it's not it's it's creating the right balance between the needs of all of them and it's a beautiful book it was be it's it's because it was a really i think it was it was created before the world was yet ready for that also what is interesting and uh was that um i think five years ago 2015 uh, salim ismail is talking about it in one of his lectures the president of unilever called all the um, um the, the management of, of the big of the major divisions and he urged them to find an mtp and an mtp is something that you can simply write in eight words no more there should be uh, uh, a target audience an action and an outcome up to eight words no more than that saving poor uh, saving poor families uh saving families from poor in africa whatever doesn't matter or you know google okay arrange the world information uh and what is very interesting salim says is that when you look after what happened in the last uh six years is that only those five uh, divisions that really adopt the MTP. And I think you can look at it, for example, I think in the work that Dav is doing, okay? Only this company really exceeded uh, the expectation and the growth both in margin, but also with client intimacy and loyalty. And uh, I would say uh, perception and preference and so forth within uh, the existing clients, but also new clients was uh, enormous. So I urge you when you think about what you are aiming to do with your life, with your company, with your startup, I urge you, I'm serious. If you won't remember anything I say from all the lectures, for me personally, this is the most important thing. What are you going to cont contribute to the world through or by or within or besides your business venture. Okay, I want to hear right now and I want to talk about what Clay Christensen, which is, uh, I think, uh, I think is the godfather of uh, um, innovation philosophy and uh, methodology and strategy and methodology. Uh, and he was a professor of, in Harvard. Uh, he created, he wrote the most important book I think ever was created, which is uh, the inventor's dilemma. Dilemma, and he, when he was asking, you know, in, in later stages in his life, he says, the only thing that really matter is uh, how on how many people life you you had an impact and, and a positive one. How did you contribute to the world? 
And in this, of course, you know, ties us back to the idea of Fiona Salek, uh, the scientist who created the polio vaccination. And when he was asked, what do you think he is, is the most important for any of us? He says, is whether you, you were a good ancestor. And a good ancestor meaning not to your children or to your grandchildren, but seven generations ahead. So I think you have to start with an MTP. What are you going to give to the world? I think yeah, we'll stop you, you right can, now. Yeah. Oh, can you please repeat the initials of MTP? Massive, transformative, transformative purpose. Great. Thank you. You're, well, you're welcome. Okay. We'll take now, what, 10 minutes, 15 minutes? Professor Sagi, what do you want to ask? <clears throat> I think uh, we'll take uh, 10 minutes break. Uh, overall, we have uh, nine students right now with us. So we'll take a 10 minute break. So we come back at uh, 12.40. And then uh, we're going to have a discussion. You can have an opportunity to ask uh, Ms. Admati uh, questions about uh, the, uh, her talk today. And then we're going to move into a discussion. And I also want to touch on the on the uh, project and discuss that as well. So please come back at uh, 12.40 and we can continue. Thank you. Thank you. I, I can hear you. Yeah, hi. So I just wanted to let you know that I have to go now because I have a wedding. So I, I need to go and uh, and I'll, and I'll catch up uh, through the recording, okay? Okay, you have a record of the lecture on, uh, on the Moodle, so you can uh, listen to that or talk to your friends or download the presentation uh, or the discussion. All the options are open for you. So, Mazal Tov, and uh, see you next week. Thank you, Shabbat Shalom. Yeah.
Okay, we would like to continue on. Um, if you are with us, please turn on your camera so at least we can see you, those of you who have a camera. Um, okay. All right. Great. Okay, we, we have now uh, st seven students that are still with us. Uh, first, I'd like to thank uh, Ms. Admati for her really uh, exciting and forward-looking uh, of the future. As you know, we're living in a very strange place that is called the future now. So everything that uh, was described and discussed, I believe is going to happen. If it doesn't happen today, definitely is going to happen tomorrow. And uh, first uh, let's uh, give the floor to you. If you have any questions specifically related to uh, what was uh, uh, um, presented so nicely by uh, Ms. Admati, uh, if you have any questions, uh, let's uh, use this opportunity. Uh, go ahead, uh, please go ahead if there is any questions. Anyone? I no? just wanna ask, I wanna ask a question. Um, first off, I wanna say also, I think it's very interesting, just all the topics and, and, uh, and very, very interesting. The question that I'd like to ask is, you, you quoted um, the, uh, the economist, um, her name was, I don't remember her name, I apologize. Carlota but, Perez. Uh, Carlota Perez. And she's, she's you, the way you I categorize everything, you were very positive, which I, I think that you're 100% right. I think that success comes from being positive about the future. And I agree with that. That, But but we see, right, we do see there's so much, such a transition now. Meaning if you took those eras that you looked at, you said, oh, there was a change from that next, that those were such small changes. Even you yourself in the beginning of the lecture said, now these 10 years are gonna be huge changes. And we hope seemingly the 10 years have that even bigger change, right? You're talking with radical changes. Um, and I guess the question is that, um, that you take in a very positive light just because, I mean, you wanted to bring her as a reference to say that every change always brought out positivity in the, from the previous generation. I just, I guess if you could just expound upon that a little bit more, why are you, why are you not suspicious or concerned or is that is that is that let's say you know, eighty percent of the people will be without jobs, or that you know that X, Y, and Z, you know, can you just expand upon that a little bit more? So you're you're mainly asking about not about Carlotta, but about myself. Am I correct? I or think. Are I you, think are, I, well, no, you, you want to ask about Carlotta? So it, I, I think I that you. Sure. What I understood is that you brought her as a proof, her yeah. theory as a proof that everything is going to always. It's up being better than the previous generation that you no, see no, that no, there's no, always no, the thirty no. percent. Well, the th well, I, let me just say, I, I understand the thirty percent and the seventy percent. The thirty percent will have jobs, and the seventy percent will be coming to serve them. And that I, I understand that, that was a proof that you brought her theory as a proof that you also see that the next generation is going to be positive in the same sense. Okay, so I definitely, I would say, you know, I have one of my teachers, Kevin Kelly, which I urge you to learn for, because uh, he's saying, I'm not an optimist, I'm not a pessimist, I'm a futomist, a futopia. And what he said, what he mean is that he, he's not looking at everything with, you know, um, pink veil. And definitely 
each new technology, there are going to be also some negative impacts. This is the first thing. The other thing, technology, we used to think that technology is impartial. You know, it's uh, naive and uh, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's unbiased, but I don't think uh, this is uh, the notion right now, but I think that because we are much more cautious and what is the difference between what is happening with the revolution, which is only starting, we are doing only babysit, we are only in the beginning, is that this is the first time in all the history of the technological revolution that we are thinking beforehand about what might be the negative consequences. And I think this is a huge shift in how we treat technological progress. So I urge you, if you're interested in this subject, First of all, there is a very, very interesting and very important right now new institute in Stanford called HAI. HAI, H-A-I. And what they're talking about is the fact that um, um, AI is going to be so important that you can't let such a strong technology be designed only by technological people. Okay, with people that only have a technology uh, or technical approach. So they create now a 30, uh, 360 degree uh, uh, overview, which includes uh, people from philosophy, from uh, psychology, from uh, uh, anthropology, whatever. And together they create a new, uh, a new method on how you create AI including the ethical parts. The other part within it, there is a wonderful, wonderful professor who moved from MIT right now to, keep, to create there what we call the Digital Economy Lab. Eric, Eric, oh, he has a horrible name. Bryce, Bryce Wolfson, something like this. It's a horrible name. Once he's being presented, by, he's coming to give a lecture, so the guy says, I know him 20 years, that's the, that's the only reason why I'm capable of uh, saying his uh, second name. So anyway, it's uh, in any way, the, the, the name of the lab is uh, 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 the Digital Economy Lab. So first of all, this is, look, this is happening in Stanford, and the, the woman who is moving, who is really the, the founder, is uh, um, uh, Fei Fei Li. Did you hear ever about Fei Fei Li? Women, you should learn, this is a very, this is a true, true heroine for us. And she's uh, one of the reasons that right now we have reinforcement learning and deep learning because she created what we call uh, um, the first visual uh, I, uh, dictionary and used it to train AI and created a competition, which out of it came a 2012 on the 29th of November, a new species was born which was the first time that machine could see. And she, she did it. And she's, you should, look, you should look her up. She's a real, wow. She's a small Chinese woman who came at the age of 16 as a refugee to the state. She didn't know one word in, in, China, in, in English. She, she said she got into, in every discussion that was in the class, she had like eight dictionaries. So she had turned, Fast forward five, five years, she's uh, already in Stanford and then she's uh, starting a PhD and she wants to train AI to be capable of seeing because machine couldn't see. And she says they can't progress once unless they see. So then she create uh, the, the image net and she create then um, the most important uh, the, at that time uh, uh, competition 
and they jump out of 66%, which is a very good number if you want to go to compete and to succeed in Wall Street and also even in a race, but you don't want to be in, a, in an autonomous car, which is only seeing 66%, right? When she doesn't, well, you don't see whether it's a child or whether it's something, you know, anyway. So she, she and then she created uh, such a competition, which was so important that they jumped to, um, uh, from 66 to 83 in uh, like four years. And out of it, it was exponential. And it, now they don't even, they, there is no, they don't have a competition because AI sees better than human race. So this is, so this is the first thing. The other thing I urge you to look, it's about the work of Genevieve Bell, women again for you, very important leaders. Genevieve Bell used to be an anthropologist. Uh, she, she, she has a PhD in anthropology and she was a, a professor in Stanford. She was sitting in a bar. A guy came to her, asked her, what are you doing? She says, I'm an anthropologist. He says, uh, well, why, what is it? He says, well, I, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning about people. He says, why do you do that? And he, she said, well, I'm interested in people. And she, she said, and she says, oh, he's a horrible man. What does he want from me? And he says, and what are you doing with this? He says, well, I'm a professor at Stanford. And he told her, you couldn't do any better. So she, 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 she thought he's very rude. And she, she says, well, I can do better. Yeah, I, I, will, I will not continue talking to you. The next morning at 10 o'clock, the phone rings in her house. And he, the guy is on the line. She didn't understand because she never gave him a number. So he was a vice president in Intel. And he called each faculty in the Bay Area in order to find out. And then in one secretary says, oh, you're looking from the redhead, uh, the Australian redhead. Well, uh, well, this is Genevieve. Would you like her phone number? And he gave her, and she gave him his phone number and she called her. And they were courting her for about, I think, eight months. In order, they asked her, come and work in Intel. And she says, what am I going to do with you? You do, you write, you do all these chips. And say, well, yes. And just to finish the story. So she, after, you know, nearly she says, what is it? I can change the world. And she was taught that a world should be changed. So she says, I need to go and work there. So she's getting into her, um, you know, her superior, her boss, the first meeting. And she says, okay, what are my missions? And the first, he says, well, the first mission is to understand women. We don't understand women. So she asks, what kind of women? Well, uh, you know, you know, European women. Said, no, 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 all women. So she writes women. This is how she tells it. And then she says, okay, and what? But oh, she says, very interesting. And then she says, no, we have another mission. So she says, oh, it's probably going to say men. And, you know, then the, everything is going to be equivalent. And she say, he said, no, uh, uh, R O. Uh, w. She says, what is our W? It says, rest of the world. She says, what do you mean rest of the world? He says, no, yeah, rest of the world. She says, where is the center of the world? He says, well, here, Intel, the Silicon Valley. So we don't understand anything. Anyway, this is it. She did it for 25 years or so. And then she moved back to Australia. And right now in the university, the Australian uh, National University, she creating a new kind of engineering because she said as for example the electricity came around we had to create you know an engineer a new profession and electricity engineer she says we need to create uh, uh, a new uh, profession how do we create the right uh, uh, ai 
So this is another very important initiative and she's putting uh, the center of it is what we, should we call cybernetic. Cybernetic is, um, is um, a notion that was created by two anthropologists, uh, uh, Margaret Mead and, uh, oh, I forgot his name, uh, Winfried, I was like, in 1956, for 40 between, they had a convention that went for 10 years that was discussing the relationship between technology uh, business and culture for 10 years in the United States. And cybernetics, meaning the cybernetics is like uh, the cybernetics, it's being about, it's, it's being based on, on the, the world, the basic world, it's being from Greek, and it's the one who is uh, uh, moving the, um, uh, the first part of the ship, okay, the, the one that is, okay. And they are also creating a total different. Uh, uh, perception and uh, values and uh, methods on how you deal with technology. And we are concentrating right now on AI because this is the most powerful one. So I'm extremely, extremely uh, um, futomistic of, as, as uh, Kevin Kelly is saying, because all eyes are on the ball. And one of my teachers says, when all eyes are on the ball, well, every problem can be solved. This was a long answer. That was, thank you. It was very important, very interesting. Very interesting insight. My pleasure. More questions? Everything is clear? Or you're keeping your questions to Tuesday? <laughs> Any other questions, guys? Aaron, maybe, yeah, go ahead. No, you, you wanted to say something? Yeah, then you wanted to ask something? Ah, okay, I thought you were, okay. Aaron, maybe this, your question goes back to what you send us, send me or a copy to us uh, on the AIB, UBI, excuse me, the Universal Basic Income. And actually I'm less optimistic than uh, Ms. Admati, uh, although, when you think about the majority, I think this is the direction we go, but there is always, as a Gauss distribution, there is always those that are lagging behind. It's not going to be 100% uh, happiness and 0% less happiness. So what I really believe is that actually, and this is actually what happens, is that the young generation, the Y generation, the Z generation, the millennium and so on, they have a different values right now. And these different values is also an expression that the money and salary is not everything. People are telling you they want more time, free time to spend with their family. They want better uh, uh, conditions. And actually sustainability is a major, major part of that. And when you're talking about sustainability, and I can relate to what's happening in the food industry, is that this is one of the major forces that drives this business. So 10 years ago, sustainability was something that it was on, on the paper because it was a must for the company to have it. Now it's good business for tomorrow it's absolutely necessary. So we're going to see a shift in this direction. And I believe as a society, we have a responsibility to, yes, to give up the opportunity and 
offer this opportunity to everyone, but not to leave behind those that are not capable of jumping on the train. And this is our role as a society to provide for them. And one of the possibilities, and I'm not sure this is the right one, is the universal basic income that we guarantee the income of a lot of families or a lot of people that are not capable of making the transition especially considering the acceleration of the acceleration. So if we have to go from one profession to the other in a very short period of time, this is really very stressful. So there are always different things, but I think when we uh, the, the, the presentation looked into the future for the company to have an horizon, a big horizon, and uh, as Yali uh, said, is the most important part is the NTP of that. Uh, obviously, if we can all fit to that, that's great. But if not, then we have to make sure that we as a society have a, a, an opportunity for all the people to join the prosperity. That's my point of view, a personal one. I may be completely wrong, that's okay as well, but that's the way I look at, uh, at this uh, position. But no question about that, the future should be very bright and if it is going to be a golden age or not, you know, uh, prediction is a very dangerous one, so I wouldn't make any prediction here. Now, what I said is not in contradiction to the presentation. On the contrary, just adding that my personal view about those that are not going to be able to jump on a wagon. So what is our responsibility to help them and assist them? Any other uh, questions on that or other issues? That's it. We're done with that. Additional points that you like to emphasize again, uh, Yali, for you? I think um, the most important thing for you when you're thinking uh, about any kind of initiative is really to what um, we call adopting the long view. And especially as you, for example, Aaron, you were concerned right now regarding many things. So once you take into consideration any, um, any possible negative impact and you prepare for that, okay? Then I think uh, um, you're going to find yourself in a better situation because um, the other thing you should also take into consideration when you're, when you're adopting the long view, not thinking, you know, a short term only in the coming uh, few months and so forth, is create what we call uh, future sen futures scenarios. You can't think about the future in singular. So you should be capable of creating a set of possible uh, uh, possible futures and the, some are going to be plausible and some are not and whatever but then once you create your yourself between three to five different or six scenarios of what can be the future then you can find the right solutions so for example when you're thinking about let's talk about um, segment that you're, to, you're working with okay 
the orthodox one, okay? So I can right now think about different um, scenarios, what, what's gonna happen with them in the future. But I will not, uh, I will not create these futures scenarios based on opinions, okay? I'm going to take like uh, megatrends, which are already we are capable of, uh, of, of, of understanding and, and evaluate, for example, you know, um, a climate change right now, okay? Or the drop in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, the price of, um, of, um, of technology or the fact that, uh, um, let's say, uh, electric vehicles are behind, okay? The, behind the corner. Whatever. So I'm going to take some economical mega trends. I will take some uh, uh, demographical uh, trends. I will take some uh, economic trends. Okay. If it's important, we can discuss it uh, more deeply. Uh, not now, but and then I would in each in each category of uh, trends, I would see which are the most uh, which are the most important and how relevant to, they are to my segment. Okay, so let's assume you start with four or five different categories of, of uh, megatrends, like economic, cultural, whatever. And out of it, you're going to stay, like if you had four categories, just, just for the sake of the, the discussion, you had like four or five in it, meaning you started with 20, and you add with like four, which are crucial for your segment. Okay, so you're taking them and then you create different scenarios. I can, I can tell you that in the middle of the corona, in the middle, on May last year, I got a call from um, a social organization. And I didn't know these people. They called me. They said, we know you. We heard about you. We heard you. We want you to assist us in envisioning our future in 2050. Think about it. We are in the middle of the corona and there is a wonderful leader and he says, help me assist. What should I do with my organization so I will contribute to Israeli, to the Israeli society and to Israel 30 years from now. Amazing, huh? So we create with them a small team uh, of six people, wonderful people, extremely smart, much wiser than I am in many, many senses. And we took each and, and we took, we got, I think, to second, six, doesn't matter, uh, mega trends which are important. And, we tr and then we took each of them and we created uh, a future, a possible future. One was positive and one was negative. So, for example, when we talk about technology, so on one hand, so, and we gave names to each of the futures. So the negative uh, name for uh, the impact of technology was potato couches. Meaning people, you remember the, the, the movie Wally? -E? You remember, did you see it? You didn't say, oh, come on, you have to see it. It's a beautiful movie. Ah, it's beautiful, right? So there is this picture of the human, of, 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 of humans which are doing nothing. They're only sitting in one place and everything is being done for them. So they're extremely chubby. And the only thing that they have big are the fingers because they have all the time to press buttons. You have to say, to see it, it's a beautiful, beautiful, right? 
did you see it yet then? It's a beautiful movie. So anyway, so they so they, they're going to be like in the Wally. They're only going to have this big and they, that's it. And they're going to be dumb and they do nothing and you know just uh, uh, live in VR or whatever. And on the other hand, it's going to be there was the explorer. People who are, you know, doing everything, running everywhere, you know, they're going to the end of the earth, they're creating new, so, and out of it, I'll say, so who are going to be your client in this, each of these future? What are going to be his needs and how can you support him? So we had eight, I mean, we had four mega scenarios, positive, negative, meaning eight. And then we went and worked with the management to make a decision which one we are going to adopt, and then what should we do? What? Now. So the end result was two initiatives that the, comp the, the, the it's, a, it's, it's an organization, it's not a company. They had to, they have to um, make sure that they uh, uh, promise themselves, not me, that they are going to put the fundamental for these two initiatives that within 18 months, no more than that, they can start doing it. So they started creating the seed for their future 30 years from now, but in the middle of the coronavirus. So I think it's a, yeah, I think they are very, very courageous. So, and this means talking, this is really taking the long view and they're working on it. I'm working with them now on another pro two projects. Yeah, might be three. So yeah. Okay, let me uh, give you another example that maybe is going to add all the elements. Uh, we were talking about sustainability, <coughs> excuse me, on one hand, and then we were talking about the disruption and the sector, and one of them was the food. So the third element here is looking into the future of 2050, and we know that the prediction for 2050, it's about 10 billion people that are going to be on earth. Now, if you combine all these elements together and you see what is affecting the sustainability at the moment, the major part of the food system, you end up immediately looking into the meat area and all the animal raising and slaughtering and all of that because they contribute to almost uh, 30 to 40% of the pollution and all of that, the, the gases and all of that. So when you take these elements together, you start asking the question, how I'm going to produce protein for the humanity for 10 billion that is not relying on real meat. So there are a couple of options here. The first one is to use protein from a natural base like a, a vegetable or anything that grows uh, in the field and use the protein. You can use it from wheat or many other things or peas or soy and other things. And the second one would be, how about if you generate the meat in a fermenter? We don't need any more animals. We don't need any of their environment issues and we can really produce any uh, steak-like or meat-like or chicken-like or uh, fish-like products in a fermenter. And the fermenter, the beauty of a fermenter, I don't know if, if you are familiar with that, but think about the big kettle that you have everything in the fermenter and everything is fermented. 
like we do wine or beer, we can now produce protein inside and we can produce meat and meat-like products. And actually these are few of the startups today that are generating a lot of interest because they are promising that if not this year, next year, we're going to see some of their products on the market already. Yeah, some that are coming from a plant-based that are already sold, incredible uh, uh, meat and uh, an incredible uh, hamburger and so on, but we are going to see more and more of that. So actually what was in even, un, uh, you know, a few years ago, thinking about creating a stack in a lab or in a fermenter was uh, unthinkable nowadays, it's a possibility and we have a lot of startups actually in Israel, several of those that are promising and some of the products are going to be on the market. The other option is to use a plant-based protein and actually create the structure by 3D printing. And we talked about in enabling technologies and previous lecture and today it was even mentioned. So you can see that all of that are coming to play and today for the future. So it's not something that we are thinking only that is something out of the blue or blue sky or something like that. It may be into the future, but the elements of that it's today. <clears throat> now the other point that I like to make and it's very important, <clears throat> excuse me. Some people believe that in order to be innovative, you have to be to forget your past. If you want to have space for innovation for the future, forget your past, okay? This is one option. The other option is use it in the right sense in order to be able to, not to uh, hinder you and not to uh, uh, allow you to, to think about the other possibilities. And one of the problems that as a human being we have is always we try to bring our experiences to our decision and our future looking. And this is definitely not the right way to do. So when you look into the future, into new possibilities, don't always rely on the past and use that as a basis for the prediction. You know, if you are investing in the, in the market, in the stock exchange or whatever, you should never look on the previous performance to predict the future. In some cases it's okay, in some cases it's not. So whether or not you should forget the past or not, I leave that, that issue for you. I can tell you that a lot of people very well and very well-known people in, the, in, in innovation will tell you, yes, if you have done a lot of startups in the past, it's going to be very difficult for you to do another one into the future. Again, I'm sure Yali would have a completely different uh, 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 observation or uh, personal uh, uh, consideration about that, but that's my, my uh, the way I look at that. I use my, my experience to allow me to assess, but never to, uh, to uh, uh, really to be a negative 
uh, fog from looking into the future. You like to relate to that, uh, Yalin? No, it's, it, I think it's important that uh, there are different angles and I think it's important that uh, people think differently. And I think it's important for the students to, to listen to different ideas and different uh, perspectives. I think it's very important to be 